0: Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the EDM podcast. Now, some of you may have noticed that it's been a while since we've put out a podcast episode. And if you're not on the email list and didn't get the memo, I just wanna take a minute to explain why this is and what happened. Around January this year, I got a bit burned out with the podcast. We got to 101 episodes and I felt that with each interview I was doing, I just became less and less interested in what was going on, and so I decided to take an extended break, or hiatus if you will, from the podcast. I didn't know how long this would be, and I didn't actually know if I'd return. Now, I made two mistakes here. The first thing I should have done is I should have announced it to you as a listener so that you wouldn't be surprised when no episodes came out. And second, I should have got someone else to do it. So we are bringing it back and we're bringing it back with speed. However, Connor O'Brien, who's my right-hand man at EDM Prod, uh, he's the guy behind the new Ableton version of EDM Foundations, songwriting for producers. He's going to be hosting the majority of the interviews uh, and he already has some great artists lined up. The only issue is he doesn't have a Kiwi accent. Uh, He's American, but I'm sure you can deal with that. I'll be jumping in to do the occasional interview like this one when I get the chance, uh, maybe once every month or so, but Connor will be handling most of them, which I'm super stoked about. Now, I am more than happy to answer any questions about this. If you're still confused as to what's happening, just let me know. You can always hit me up on Twitter, at Sam Matler, or Instagram, at Sam Matler. On to today's guest, Blake Lagrange. He's a professional mastering engineer who's worked with artists like Lil Wayne, Uh, POD, Chicago, ASAP Rocky, Hanson, and many others. He's been in the game for a long time. He got started at a young age and basically built his career from scratch. And that's one thing we focus on a lot in this interview. It's Blake's background because there are several nuggets of wisdom that apply to you if you're wanting to build a career either as an artist or in the pro audio field as a mixing engineer or, or mastering engineer. Blake is also the founder of Mastering.com where he helps artists and producers become professional mastering engineers and learn how to master their own work. Now in this interview we talk about a bunch of stuff including how Blake kicked off his full-time music career by leveraging MySpace and Blink 182, the economics of mastering compared to mixing, going out on your own versus working for someone, why producers should strongly consider mastering their own work, and Blake's opinion on automated mastering services like Lander. Now just one more thing before we get into this interview. If you enjoy this interview, you'll be pleased to know that Blake and I are running a live webinar next week at 7pm Eastern Time on Thursday the 12th of September. That's 7pm Eastern Time on Thursday the 12th. Here's a few things that we're going to cover during that webinar what it takes to master a song from start to finish. The old way of mastering versus the new way of mastering. Becoming an objective listener versus subjective listener. Debunking the myth that you can't master your own work and showing that actually the best way to master is to master yourself. And developing the two-second air, that is knowing within two seconds of playback what needs to happen to make a final mix become a final master. We'd love to see you on this webinar. It's completely free and you're gonna learn a ton of stuff. To sign up, head over to edmprod.com forward slash mastering. Super simple. That is edmprod.com forward slash mastering. Now, by the way, if you can't make the time at 7 p.m. Eastern on Thursday the 12th, don't worry because there will be a replay available, but you do need to sign up in order to have access to this replay. So again, if you want to sign up, edmprod.com forward slash mastering. just head over there, click sign up, and you'll be in. Now, without further ado, here is Blake LaGrange. Enjoy the show. Right. Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. Today, I have Blake LaGrange. That's how you pronounce it, right? That's right. Perfect. Blake Lagrange on the show, and Blake is a mastering engineer. Uh, he's the founder of mastering.com. And I'm stoked to have you on the show. We've had a mastering engineer on before, but it was a long time ago. And the amount of questions I get about mastering is, is just insane. Like, you know, we focus on electronic music production, but every day I'll get an email from someone asking, How can I master my music? Where can I learn about mastering? And I don't know where to send them because i'm not really an expert on this stuff so i'm excited to dive in to this today but i want to start with your background and your story because you have a fascinating story we've talked about it before so let's start by talking about how you got into music as a whole when was the moment like you picked up a guitar or or instrument how did that start yeah i remember being like 12 or 13
1: picking up a guitar and um mainly because I was listening to a lot of Led Zeppelin at the time and I wanted to like nice. learn how to <laughs> how to be like Jimmy Page and so um yeah. you know it's I think I I learned like one little lick or something that my friend taught, taught me on on a nylon acoustic and then I was playing with him you know kind of together and I, something just in my heart just like ding like you know clicked and there was a gear mm. there where I was like oh my gosh this is this is something very exciting. And so I started, that's like how I started falling in love with music at the time. So I started basically as a musician and then how, uh, you know, playing in bands and doing that and play, mm-hmm. playing piano and drums and all this. And then, at, gosh, I think it was sometime in high school, I made the switch to to go on the other side of the glass, so to speak. <laughs> so, but I would say that for the first, just my adolescent years, is what really got me passionate one about like guitar and then two mainly about Mm. music
0: what what caused that switch
1: yeah i i was actually like privileged enough blessed enough to go to this arts high school um it was a really cool like arts high school one of a kind really in in where i'm where i'm originally from california and they were like providing midi courses um and Mm. like how to how to create electronic music and how to um do all this all these things in the box and then uh you know so I took like MIDI like 101 and then I took like recording arts and all this and I knew I wanted to do music for the rest of my life but I thought I was going to be like a rock star and be in a band and I think my like I I heard my parents voice in the back of my mind saying like oh you need a real job and all this and I (laughs) (laughs) figured I figured well I think the second best thing maybe is to like be on the other side of the glass, which is like recording others and producing others Mm -hmm. and being on the engineering producing side of things. And that's when the switch happened. When I started creating music in like reason 3.0, like, you know, shout out to the reason propeller heads (laughs) software, (laughs) Um, which I still love to this day, but that is what clicked for me. And oh my gosh, I remember looking at like, how many like classes I needed to take to graduate high school. And it was all of this extracurricular garbage. And I was never, yeah. never a fantastic student. And uh, I just wanted to get out of there and do producing. So I like worked my tail off to, to work basically in the summer and also do home studies and all this. And I ended up graduating high school pretty early. I remember I was, I think I was 16 years old. Wow. And I, I was just like, okay, I'm doing this. I don't know what,
0: I don't know how, but <laughs> I'm going to yeah. do this somehow basically. Was there, I, I've talked about this a lot for myself, but I also played in a band and I was a drummer and like I had, I didn't have a voice because I was a drummer. Um, So I, I never made any of the decisions creatively. And then when <laughs> right. I got into producing, it was like, oh, I can do whatever I want. Like I can choose to put a sound here. I can a- arrange this this way. And it was like going from low control to complete control. Did you have any sort of, epiphany moment like that oh totally man like I remember I remember being a musician and
1: thinking I was this creative artist type like I had something to prove or whatever and then as soon as I realized that like no I'm actually more technically minded and and I think the way I was built and designed is like no I actually much I I have a higher appreciation for um like producing in the general sense of the word like really uh, navigating bands and like trying to, trying to have like the final say in the production quality of things, and that came from yeah. listening to just tons and tons of music and just really appreciating even simple things like oh the guitars panned here or the you know the snares compressed this way and all this and my mind was much more in tune with that kind of work than it was me being this artist that needs to prove something. I I found sure. so so much more value bringing a big project together. Um, through the use of whether it was myself producing myself or producing for others, so I would say that that happened, I think, for the first time when when I started working like with bands and artists for the first time.
0: For those people listening who who don't know what that's like, I, I mean, the bedroom producer who has only known opening up Ableton or FL Studio, making a song and exporting it. What is the recording, mixing, mastering process like with a band, like in the studio? What does that involve? <laughs> I know it's a complex process, but there's a lot of people listening who probably won't know what that's like. Right. Yeah. That's so. I was doing for for a
1: long time, just producing my own stuff in the box in reason at the time, still do. And, um, you know, it's great because nobody pushes back at you. Nobody, um, (laughs) there's no, there's no like, obviously it's challenging, but there's no, there's no more opinions in the room and Mm. you have all the controls from the writing and producing and creating all of this. And so. When you produce with like a band, uh, I mean, it just gets w- way more complicated. I mean, you have all of the opinions of of the different artists, and and you want to kind of take the reins of the project, but you kind of have to sit back mm. and really make what they're doing shine. So, the recording process, I mean, this is my background. It's just it's much more organic and analog. Like you don't, yeah, you don't get, you know what I mean. Like so, the bands come in, and I I started off as a recording engineer, so. You know they would bring in the drums, set up the mics. Okay, we got the drums. Let's do bass, or let's do the whole band live. And and like you're you really want to mix it, but you can't because the band's there and they're paying money and and so do you mix as you go? Oh no, you can't do that. And so all of these things <laughs> come into play. And then oh, and then there's and then there's mixing. I mean mixing is just so much more difficult with people cuz everybody's got an opinion, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. I think over the years I've learned to to have a really healthy balance of providing value for people but also like really hearing where they need to be and what they want to do and sure. trying to trying to cultivate that and help them.
0: Makes sense. So, going back, you know, you, you graduated high school, you're about 16. What happens at this point?
1: Yeah, so I got uh I needed a I needed money to like buy burritos and and like And like put gas in my my dingy car at the time. Um, so I got a job in retail, um, working part-time just to cause I needed some money and I dove headfirst into the studio world. So I really tried to find an internship somewhere. So I I actually started interning at a really well-known studio in Southern California. And I'd say over the course of six to nine months, I saw like 30 or 40 interns come in and out of those doors and as soon as um i started looking around and seeing that and then seeing that i was staying i i it really gave me like a boost of confidence saying oh this is this is something that i think i can do i mean it was intimidating
0: but i really i really feel like i can do this you know so two quick questions and i just sure. want to interrupt number 1 how did you get the internship and and the second question is why were you the one who stayed like f- you said 40 to 50 interns went through this and, and came and left why why didn't you leave? Yeah. I'd say, I'd say over the
1: course of six, yeah, six, or nine months, it'd be like, yeah, like 40 people came and left. And, um, I got it because I, I just hustled and like, um, I lived in San Diego my whole life at this point. And so I knew all the studios in the area. Mm. And so I just hustled, like just reached out to people. And then I got connected through a school in Hollywood that put a good word out for me. And I mean, I just did anything I could to get in the doors because something clicked for me. I said, I don't, know how to run like an analog console or any of that stuff but I sure know how to run Pro Tools and like yeah I know that so as long as I can as long as I can figure out the console and I know Pro Tools I'm fine and so yeah. um my whole understanding was I I'm not going to go into the studio to to like learn and be a fly on the wall as much as that's what people think I'm going to go in and try to provide value so I think sure. the re- I mean yeah. to answer the second part of your question the reason why I think everybody left is because they just wanted the rock and roll experience and be a fly on the wall mm-hmm. and be a coffee runner and pay their dues and, and learn. But, but they didn't come into it being like, oh, I want to really provide value for the studio or I really mm-hmm. want to sit mm-hmm. behind that desk and run this and, and sort, sort of shadow box the, the experience in their mind. Okay, how would I do this this way? And so I think what kept me there is when, it, when I was asked to do something I jumped at it and did it and, and, and was good at it. And I, uh, I mean, I just had this tenacious attitude. Like if this is what I'm going to do, I better take it seriously. Yeah. (laughs) You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, So you're interning and all these people are leaving and you get to this point where you're like, you know, I'm, I'm here and this is something I want to do. What happens from that point? How do you transition from being an intern to something else? Because people don't want to stay as interns. Right. Like I've never met an intern that's like, yeah, I'm I'm happy with doing this for the next twenty years, like getting paid nothing, pretty much, and being an intern.
1: Oh yeah, and and I and I think at a very early age, I I I was very business minded, and I think I an entrepreneurship mm. in me was I started to realize that, and I didn't I didn't quite know how that was going to work out. I think a lot of people go into the studio thinking, oh, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to get a job, and the reality is, I mean, for anybody listening to you don't like get a job as a music producer. <laughs> you you are the job, you are the business. And so once I realized that, oh, I have to work for myself, it actually inspired me. I said, I think I can do that. So here's the turning point, man, is um, I ran a session really well one day and I think I really got the analog systems set up. And the owner said to me, hey, if you want to run the session tomorrow, um, feel free to go for it. I said, really? Yeah. And so I ran the session. I did really well. And at the end of the day, he gave me a hundred bucks and mm-hmm. he said, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you really got this place dialed in. You obviously know what you're doing with pro tools and you know, the board, you know, the console, um, if you want to bring bands in, you know, make sure that they pay the studio. And at the time the studio rate was 500 bucks a day. Then he said, you know, you can charge a hundred bucks and you know, t- you know, a hundred bucks times 30, uh, 3000 bucks a month, that's a pretty good living for a 17, 18-year-old. And I think once that clicked, I was like, oh, I'm doing this. So the next day, I was, I, I was called to go into to like work at the retail job. And, uh, and something, something pissed me off at the job. And, and I just walked out. So I was like, oh, I don't need to do this. And I went home. And I mean, I mean, I think it was inventory. Everybody had to stay late. And I was like, I am not staying. Right, I'm not yeah, going to yeah. do that. Forget like, no. Yeah. And it's like, no, you must. And as soon as somebody's like told me I have to do something, that's, I was like, the, yeah, no, that's I worst, don't. Man. <laughs> I'm like, watch me. And I just left. And uh, so I went home. I don't know if this interests anybody, but I created a MySpace at the time for the studio. <laughs> and I figured... I don't have any like creds under my belt, but the studio certainly does. So I made a MySpace for the studio. Put I I got a photographer to take awesome pictures of the studio. Did you
0: ask did you ask for permission from the studio owner first? Or did you just like go go for it? I went for it, told him, and he loved it.
1: (laughs) I said, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make us a MySpace. And he was just he's an older guy, so oh that sounds good. What's a MySpace, you know? And so (laughs) I just, I paid out of my own pocket to get a photographer in there. And like, I got just awesome pictures and I I leveraged, I leveraged basically the, the studio. So, and then I, and then I, I kind of, because I was into MySpace at the time, I knew how to customize pages and stuff. I figured out how to take like, here's what I did because this is in San Diego, Blink 182 is like the San Diego band. And so I, I created a filter, like show me every single band. That is friends with Blink One Eighty Two in a fifty mile radius or whatever, uh, with X amount of fans and like pull a CSV file and like boom I got that <laughs> and then <laughs> and then I just reached out to every single one from from the studio MySpace and I just said hey I love your guys's music and you know here's what the normal rate is for the studio but because I like you guys so much and it's true I mean most engineers that worked out of there was, were charging way more than I was charging mm. I just I just said you can come in for a discounted rate and here's here's what it'll here's here's basically like what it'll give you and here's how much it costs and i i mean i emailed like 200 bands and i got i mean the next morning i woke up with at least 40 50 60 responses wow. and at that point i was like game on so i was booked out um for a few months and i just learned the ins and outs of of all of that stuff and every single band i mean granted a lot of them sounded like blink 182 <laughs> but uh that's that for me was like I mean I remember being like I'm a music producer (laughs) you know yeah and uh and I was making a 100 bucks a day doing this and that's that's how I like I mean that's how I learned everything and I had a mentor Mm. uh the studio owner was a big mentor for me and I I very strongly believe that a mentorship is the way to go when it comes to yeah really getting the next level uh In your career so that that's basically when
0: i was like okay i'm doing
1: this you know
0: that's that's so amazing and you've got another interesting point about transitioning into mastering right because at this point you're doing the whole thing correct recording mixing oh yeah i was i
1: was what you call like a full stack engineer i mean i had to be it it's like booking recording mixing mastering everything
0: and how do you transition into mastering specifically then, like what drew you to that? Yeah, so it's quite
1: simple, really. Um I mean the numbers, and I mean number one, like I loved mastering. I just absolutely mm. loved it, but the numbers made sense. so a band would come in and I'd work my tail off ten to twelve hours and I'd make a hundred bucks, and the studio yeah. made five hundred and so mm. of course, like I eventually raised my rates, that's for sure but you know, I doubled it after a few months and, and so forth. But I was working 10, 12 hours doing that. And then mixing, they would come in. And because I didn't have any of my own gear, I couldn't just like take the recordings and mix it on my own time. Sure, um, yeah. I, and, and I was so comfortable with the really good room environment. I feel like I couldn't mix anywhere else. I was just kind of yeah. stuck there. So we did day rates for mixing. So I was working my tail off mixing. And there's another 100 bucks. So I'd work, you know, 20 hours and make 200 bucks. And then when it came to master, they would come in and pay three hundred for mastering, and uh, I would—I mean, I'd master everything um, through a bunch of signal chains that I developed, and I would split it with the owner. So I made a so a whole album would take, you know, maybe two hours at the time. I mean, when it first started, it took a longer, but I got it down to to process, and I'd make one hundred fifty bucks in two hours. It was just a no brainer for me, and I I, mm, I just mm. kind of file saved that in the back of my mind, thinking if I really want to do this, I'm going to have to be doing some mastering. Um, And I think there's two types of people in the recording world. There's the people who really love the recording process and the people who really love the post-production process. And I, as much, as much as I loved working with bands and stuff, boy, did I love, did I just, I just fell in love with the post-production process. I absolutely loved, I saw the difference that mastering made um, with a final mix. You get a final mix that sounds brilliant and then people are like, oh, this sounds amazing. And then when you master it, you feel like you feel like you're in ultimate control because you're working with two tracks. And
0: yeah. Yeah. You
1: know what I mean? And so if you can bring that to life to where it it went from amateur to like professional, polished, that yeah. was really, really satisfying and rewarding. And that's that's when I was like, okay, I think if I ever did this on my own, I wanna, I wanna really dive way more headfirst into mastering.
0: If you could this is kind of a hard question and there's different opinions, but if you could define mastering, how would you define that?
1: Sure. Yeah, I would define it as, and I've been saying this for a while, is it's the last step of the music production phase. It's the last 10% of the, um, of the process. And it gives um, it provides an overall polish, loudness, punchiness, whatever you want to call it. It's a sort of a sonic overview of the entire project so that, and this is the key, so that it can be released on, um, on different formats, whether it's physical mm. or streaming, so that it matches industry standard, not only loudness, I, but, but what everybody forgets, industry standard quality. And it's what separates sure. amateur mixes and all this from professional, like really um, hard-hitting stuff.
0: Yeah, I love that. I, that's one of the best definitions I've heard. <laughs> um, so... So I wanna I wanna go a bit further on your story and then I've got a bunch of questions that sure. I want to ask about mastering itself. So you're doing this, at which point do you decide to go out on your own? Yeah, I think I think the pressures of life kicked in and
1: I was like, yeah. I I really I had a girlfriend at the time who eventually ended up becoming my wife. Um and I started thinking, you know, how do I how do I I mean I was making good money doing this, raise my prices, but like how do I really step up my game? And I had a few pretty good names under my belt at the time. And there was one day where I was like, how am I going to work for myself? And so I, uh, it just came to a point where one day I like started purchasing some gear and some plugins and basically replicated a couple, like I, there's a few different mastering chains that I had at the studio and I replicated that in my home Mm. and, and I just started like getting gear and yeah. So, so like being at my house was huge because now I didn't need to split the profits of the studio. And mm-hmm. I got to a place where I'm like, do I record or master? Do I record a master? And so I started saying no to clients on the recording side of things because I, I took kind of a leap of faith and was like, I'm going to dive into this mastering thing. And so the site, um, that the studio had, I don't know if this is jumping ahead of myself here, but the site, the studio had, we built this site, um, that would handle, like mastering clients. Um and so hmm. that's like how we got thirty percent of our work is just through online. And so um, you know, that would be, you know, maybe a you know, maybe six a month kind of project projects. Sure. And so yeah. I just figured, okay, I gotta <laughs> I'm doing so much mastering. One, I need to build a site that displays this stuff. And then two, mm. where I can handle file transfer so I don't do we transfer or you send it or yeah, you know yeah. whatever anymore. And so I I remember as I was as I was getting married, <laughs> I, uh, I I I was just spent a bunch of time and effort and money, like basically like how do I create the greatest site ever that really displays my work and yeah. handles all my clientele and 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 how do I have people like find me and and I I knew that I, I worked with such great artists at the time that as as long as I got that in front of people, people would be excited, and so I um built a site I mean long story short, built a site, really worked it, and got to a place where I would offer just free mastering for people if they wanted to hear what I did and wow. um that's what I did, and I remember building that, kind of crossing my fingers, saying, okay, like I have clientele that like is word of mouth that that comes to me, but like hopefully this pays off and I remember going to my honeymoon uh after I got married, and then coming back and seeing like. Just I think like sixty or so like inquiries, oh, and at that point I was wow. like, okay, this is what I'm doing and I just started <laughs> that's when I started working for myself and I started saying no to recording work and yeah um at that point, I was mastering you know eight to ten hours a day every single day
0: how did the um like how did the studio owner and your mentor like how did he take that because I've heard stories from some people in the industry and they do this kind of thing they go go out on their own and they get it does not end well, um, in terms of the relationship.
1: uh totally. So you are correct. It, it, I mean, there's nothing personal there, but it's like I think. I mean, I was the chief engineer at this studio, yeah, and yeah. it was just a matter of like, well, I could make this amount doing this here in my house, or I could do the exact same thing in this studio, pay you half, and make yeah half the amount. It's a simple thing. I mean, a numbers game, and sure. so, um. I mean, when people say like, "Oh, you need a ginormous million dollar studio to master, and like, I'll never be able to do that because I don't have any of the gear or the room or any of that stuff, like that's nonsense like mm-hmm. i've I've been able to do it, and and of course you build out your room and all this, but the studio owner wasn't necessarily stoked. <laughs> let's just say that um, I mean we're, we're in good standing now for sure, but yeah, um, yeah, it's just going out on your own. I mean studio owners basically they rely on engineers working in their studio. And if the chief engineer leaves, I mean, there goes all the business, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Now you touched on something that I want to dive into a bit more. Mm -hmm. A lot of people listen to this, they feel like they can't do their own mastering because they don't have the uh, right room set up or the right gear. And just before I get you to answer this question, maybe there's a more fundamental one we can talk about, which is, do you think everyone should be mastering their own work? Uh, short answer is yes. And Interesting. I know that that is uh,
1: kind of counter, like a lot what a lot of people are saying right now. But from somebody who has mastered, I mean, I literally mastered like 11,000 songs last year or something like that, just a little bit more than that. Wow. And uh, from somebody who's like, just does all that, I can tell you right now, even though like I'm providing great quality stuff for people, when I've been mastering like my own music or like stuff I'm working on, and I and I started to make the transition of like, I'm gonna record, mix, and master. Um, I I I've seen the spectrum of all of this work, and I can honestly say that there's a, just a huge barrier between um the creator or the artist and and the final product, and that barrier is just a technical hurdle and a knowledge gap. So here's what the one thing um, that, that like the artist or the creator has that nobody else has, and that is the vision for their music. Like nobody knows the desire of final sound that that person um, has. And so you hear all these excuses like, oh, I like to send off my stuff to second set of ears to get a second opinion. I mean, I can, I can speak to that all day, but at the end of the day uh, nobody knows like their music best other than themselves and so all they need is just like a really good set of like tools and understanding to pull that off because it's this big myth and it's just i'm just it's so so sad that not a, not a lot of mastering engineers talk about it because i think that they're afraid they're going to lose their jobs or something yeah
0: you know what i mean yeah for sure yeah this so interesting i didn't expect you to say that um especially since like a big chunk of your work is mastering you know you it's not that you're shooting yourself in the foot but you're basically saying yeah like you don't need to come to me you can do it yourself oh 100% i mean they
1: don't i mean there's only like a few options there's like you do it yourself and it sucks or <laughs> you send it off to some garbage like um automated mastering or something like that um which you know i won't Um, I won't give much, uh, credit to, (laughs) of, of a good way to go about that. But, and then there's a third option, which is like, pay somebody like me to just do it for you. And majority of the time, if they're serious about their music, they do, they do the latter. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I do a good job in all this, but like, I've just seen so much success from people doing it themselves. And, um, I mean, I've, I was able to do it, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah you got it's a, it's a mindset shift it's a mindset shift that like sure you have to believe in yourself and you
0: have to just have the right uh guidance and tools to do it yourself so these automated uh mastering platforms i, I want to talk about this a bit and we might disagree i have a good friend who's a mastering engineer and uh many years ago he these came out and he was like this is stupid never gonna work <laughs> um and his tone has kind of shifted on this he said you know Like from a business perspective, a company like Landa is phenomenal. Like they have democratized mastering and their product has improved to a point where it's it's certainly not the same as a mastering engineer doing the work. In a lot of cases, it's going to be better than what an amateur can get themselves without the knowledge. But you seem to be quite against them. And I, I wonder what, like, can you explain why you think they're not that good? Sure, I, maybe I'll give like the pros of it first, and then the cons. Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: the pros is for basically it's like somebody who's like, I I know I need to have myself mastered. I mean, I I just need to apply mastering, and I don't care what that looks like. It's just got to sound mm-hmm. good enough. And I don't know my right hand for my left hand when it comes to mastering. And so I'm going to upload it here. It sounds pretty good. Uh, it's up on SoundCloud. It's up on Spotify. Done. And uh, I think. I think there's a market, um, where it's helpful. And, um, I totally understand that, but in a way there's a lot of, there's a lot of pros for me that the fact that it exists, uh, the one is often I get clients, um, where they like, they upload their song and it's a, their final mix. And then like a couple of references and all this, and then, and then they'll upload like a lander master and just be like, here's the lander master. And I mean, 10 times out of 10, Like what, what I do is, is better than what Lander does, obviously. Mm. And I think people start to make the shift like, okay, if I need to be serious about this, I need to, I need to do, there needs to be somebody doing the mastering. And so I think the reason Lander exists, um, is kind of what I was talking about before. It's because it's this huge knowledge gap. I mean, there's just all the curtains in the world being thrown up uh, for mastering to the point where. People don't feel like one they could like afford to pay somebody to do it, and two that they can't even do it themselves, so Lander is monopolizing that market and saying, because there's this huge knowledge gap and you have no idea and you never fi- figure it out and trust me, mm-hmm. you know because that all exists people people just resort to doing that, and what it's done is it's taken it's taken music quality generally speaking and and lowered the bar which which in turn has people it's this huge gap in the market now where it's like people are doing this lower end side of mastering and all their stuff sounds not not optimal but yeah. then you have this really luxury market where it's like the stuff that sounds amazing the stuff that's winning grammys the stuff that's really hard-hitting stuff is like people have to pay more for a mastering engineer now so it's like they've got rid of the middle class basically is how I think about it. Um, so it's just an interesting thing. It has not like changed. If anything, I've raised my prices because of it, because they don't, they're not that happy with the results.
0: Yeah. And and what about the kind of middle point here? Because I, my standpoint is like AI and this technology can help us make better music if done, if used correctly. So uh, plugins like Elevate by... Uh, newfangled audio or ozone master assistant what do you think about those i think that they're tools and i think that mm. uh if you know how to use them they're really helpful but
1: um everybody sort of thinks only they can you know all they need is the tool oh what's the best plugin or yeah. you know how, and, and looking
0: for the the silver bullet like, exactly
1: exactly yeah. and what i mean you're exactly right and i mean the reason why you buy a, a screw is not for the screw you buy it for the hole like sure. it's a yep. tool to get where you need to be, but if you don't know how to use the screw it, screwdriver, it doesn't, um, mm-hmm. I, I meant to say drill, not a screw. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's a tool and it's great, but you have to know how to use it basically. So I, I, I think it, it meets people 40% of the way there. Um, yep. you know, funny story is I like, I actually worked with a couple, um, people like AI people to help develop my own algorithm to like. I wonder, I wonder if I can beat it. Cause I'm, I love algorithms just on on a general level, but so I created one that like I used internally for quite some time, um, just to like see what I could do and like how easy it was. And, um, I mean, nine times out of 10, I beat the algorithm afterwards. So like, there's just a human element that you got to have if you want to, if you want to take this seriously, you know?
0: Do you think that will ever change? Like, do you think Lander 10 years from now could match a mastering engineer, like top quality? Nope.
1: I think Lander's end game is to produce, is to have a big business that that they can sell or wrap up into an IPO or like become a content sure. provider. I mean, they have blogs. And I think what, what it'll end up happening is like, they'll they'll be able to service a lot of people on the lower end of the market, but then also they'll become a hub of content uh to where they're just get I mean the main business model is now advertising and and stuff like that. Mm. And So it's really the heart of providing quality masters is is 100% not at the heart of the business. And that's fine. You can build a business for other reasons. But sure. But don't, you know, don't necessarily cake it with this like oh we want to provide the best
0: sounding masters, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Uh so so going back to my initial question like 15 minutes ago which we haven't got to yet <laughs> a lot of people feel like they can't you know they can't do their own mastering and we've covered the automated services and so on and so on but there's going to be people listening to this who hear all that they don't want to use lander they're not sure if they should pay a mastering engineer because they don't have the money or they're not convinced that it's worth it but at the same time you know they produce in, in their bedroom or like the spare room and they haven't got treatment they haven't got the best speakers maybe they have like um low-end monitors and headphones you need a certain level of gear i'm sure but what would you tell those people in that position i think the main thing that i would tell those people like if they actually have a desire
1: to master themselves which i think is great is uh one like you got to drill into your mind like you can do this like that that it's actually possible because i i mean the It's just unfortunate that there's this like mastering is this dark art, this mystery, like nobody really talks about it. Like you have to believe that like, oh, I can do this. I mean, and I did that. I mean, I started in my bedroom and now have an awesome studio I work out of. Um, I saw the transformation that happened, but that's the first thing is like, I can, I can do this. I'm going to overcome this. I can conquer this. That's the first thing. The second Mm -hmm. thing is there are just practical things you can do to get your room and like your tools, like really well set up you you i think there's a myth that you have to have this million dollar studio and like thousands and thousands of dollars of outboard gear i would go so far to say is you can get grammy winning quality masters um with plugins i really believe that and i've i've seen it time and time again like with my with my um students that i coach and all this and so you know there's there's specific things you need to do to your room you know like get it yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, have an equilateral triangle with your speakers, and you know, sure. get, yeah. if you have a if you have a room that's lengthwise, like get in the get in the center of it, and then move up. So you're yeah, but that third. doesn't
0: cost that doesn't cost like tens of thousands of dollars. It's free, it's free.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, and yeah, turn your speaker sideways so the tweeters are out. They're on the same levels, you know. And so, I mean, there's uh, get get some get some software to like help you, and like you know, get some get some traps set up, and like tune your room, tune your ear. I mean, there's just there's things you can do i I mean, mm. I've seen just amazing amazing stuff come out of rooms that you don't need to spend any money to get it to get it sounding right. you just have to know what you're doing, yeah I mean you
0: know? my favorite story is about how Porter Robinson I don't know if he mastered it, but he at least mixed one of his albums on logitech speakers, oh yeah, like you know the one hundred dollar super loud sub and like tiny little um monitors i mean so, that's that's yeah, kinda i of mean. It.
1: Mike, I, my go-to things are I have a big Genelec sub and then, um, NS 10s. I mean, that's like sort of my go-to and that's,
0: I mean, that's what I do. (laughs) A lot of people use that. Love it, man. Yeah. 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 What are some, uh, you talk about this knowledge gap and I think this is an issue with a lot of people and I love what you say about this curtain being over or calling master in a dark art because it really is. and. I remember getting into production and I just stayed away from it. Like I just, I didn't even think about it. In fact, I actually wrote an article a while back on why you shouldn't worry about mastering as a new producer. And I still Mm. stand by that. I think it's a distraction for beginner producers specifically. Personally, I think they should be focusing on the songwriting aspect, um, arrangement, like all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Because there's no point mastering a song that isn't good. Mm. But... For those people listening who are at a point where they're making good music and they want to do this mastering thing themselves, what are the common mistakes you see in your students and other people who get into this with mastering? Mm. Yeah, I'd say that
1: um sort of like the I mean for the people who want to do this themselves, they're usually people who I I mean, maybe your listeners are one of these types of people. They're they're people who like they're first, they're producers and artists. Like they just want to create and then Second, they, you know, because they are those things, like they have to overcome all the technical hurdles of using Ableton or Logic or whatever, Pro Tools. And so because they want to create music, they have to learn these things and then they end up getting quite good. And so you go, oh, I'm, I know how to, I know how to mix now. (laughs) And the reason why you learn mixing is so that you can better translate your, 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 your music. I mean. Yeah, yeah. people people understand very quickly that if you have a bad mix, the song's not gonna translate. I mean, it's mm. like having bad audio with with a video. It's just people aren't gonna watch it. <laughs> and so um that's easy for people to sink in and like they understand that. Um, I think the biggest hurdle that people need to overcome is like if that is true, then why is that not true of mastering? And mm. that's what separates um like really amateur sounding stuff from professional sounding stuff. You could have the greatest song, greatest production—you could be really good at mixing, but if you don't have that, like last ten, sometimes twenty percent in the mastering stage, you'll you'll have this amazing sounding thing. And but subconsciously, people are going to listen to it and go, "Yeah, it sounds good," but like it doesn't sound like the new Taylor Swift record, which sounds pristine, you know. And you start go, "Oh, you know, maybe it's maybe it's the wrong kick drum, or oh no, maybe it's maybe I need to use a different plugin." It's like, no, you just you're not looking at things objectively on like a sonic level. Like people are so and this is fine when you're creating, but you're so granular and you, you you zoom in and you know, I need to automate the vocals. I mean, you you know, you get really in depth, but a mastering engineer has to step back and look at it objectively. I mean, you take a break from your mm. music and then you're looking at your session and you don't see anything except a left and right channel. And you go, sure. how in the how in the world am I going to get this to pristine sounding quality with just this? And if you can conquer that i mean you've you've conquered everything you can get all the clarity in the world all the punch in the world that you're looking for and that's where really the secret lies in terms of in terms of
0: getting actually like really great sounding stuff one pushback i've heard is that you should use a mastering engineer instead of mastering yourself because you can't be objective about your own music and one of the roles of a mastering engineer is to hear this song that you've made for the first time, they have no emotional investment, they haven't spent 25 hours working on you know, the synth line. Um, mm. How would you respond to that? Because I, I hear that yeah. a lot. Right. Um, I think that people are getting
1: too... I mean, I've heard that plenty of times for sure. And I mean, those are my clients for goodness sake, you know. But I've heard that too many times and it's really just people getting in their head because if, if you've been a producer for any for some time now you get to a point where you're you're producing, you're mixing and you just have no idea what it's sounding like. You don't even know what's good, what's bad. Mm. I mean, you're just so in it that you're just deaf. I mean, not deaf because it's sure. loud. I mean, deaf like you're blind to it. Like you you just yeah. you're flying blind. You have no idea and so, "Oh, I'm just going to send it off to the mastering engineer." And the bummer thing about that is if you ever get to that point, you've already lost. <laughs> you uh, you get so caught up in being this what I call like a subjective listener, which is Opinion-based uh, decisions. So mm-hmm. like, um, is this the right kick drum? Is this, you know, is this the right synth pack? Is all this stuff. And those are all creative, subjective decisions that are based around opinions. A mastery engineer, you're, you're 100% right. They don't have really opinions. They have objective ears and objective room and all this. And, and I think if you never wear that hat, then you're kind of already off to a bad start when you start creating. That's good point. So... You know what I
0: mean? So, so you're, like, you're saying that it doesn't just affect the mastering stage; it affects everything. the whole production process. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, with like some That's of my point. students, like now that they understand mastering, when they start a new project and they bring up something in Ableton, they're thinking like, "I know what it takes to get to the finish line," and that now informs how I mix. That now how informs how I record mm-hmm. and how I produce. Yeah. And if you knew if you knew that side of things that's why i think everybody should be doing it themselves because if you understand and know that side of things your work's just going to be infinitely better you're going to look at things through an objective lens that you should have been looking at from the start of the process there's a place mm. for subjective opinionated creative listening of, of course i mean 100% but you like you work tirelessly on your mix and this stuff and you've never put on the objective hat then if you expect a mastery engineer to to just take care of it Sure, they'll make it sound better, but if you had an objective hat on from the beginning, because you knew what would happen at the end, your your decision making process throughout the creation and mixing process would just unravel just in in with so much clarity, and, and you'll just boost your your um really the
0: quality of your work. Mm. I I love that. It makes so much sense. Um, what advice would you give to someone who wants to get? Maybe they start mastering themselves. They um, they build up their skills and then they think like you did many years ago, I want to get into this and, and help other people do it, mm. you know, bands, other artists or whatever. What advice would you give to someone who wants to get into the pro audio space and maybe build a career as an engineer, unless you would recommend against it completely. Uh, cause I know some people do. Oh no, I'm,
1: um, I mean, if you look at the world, like on a very global level, quite literally one of the biggest industries is the entertainment industry. So this isn't some like thing that's dying. This is, Mm, this is a thriving industry. So I say lean, lean into it big, you know, big time in terms of like becoming a mastering engineer. I mean, I did it. I know what it takes. Um, I think the first hurdle you have to jump through is like, you have to get really, really good at that. And you need to, Mm. you need to really master that master the mastering. And uh, the second thing is like, I mean just on a practical level, if you want to build a business, I see so many and I help engineers with this all the time. They say they're engineers or they collab with people and they start charging and they want to be able to make this a career. you know they charge per song like oh, I'll collab with you and it'll be three hundred bucks a song or whatever, and then they throw some things up on the stereo bus and whatever. but like my number one advice is like segment your work, and I've just seen this with so many people. it's like you want to collab with somebody, okay, it's three hundred bucks to to produce like boom okay mixing like okay it's going to be 150 bucks to mix this like great you know send back a final mix and then okay now we're going to master it it's you know 100 bucks or whatever it is you know and if you segment your work it will it'll dramatically improve like your workflow and i mean there but then there's big picture stuff for engineers who want to get into pro audio like i think being an entrepreneur or being like a self-starter or realizing that yeah, you're the you're the one who's who's gonna who's gonna succeed and you're you're taking a bet on yourself and you're risking everything on you 100%. you know what i mean like nobody's gonna hand this to you you're not i didn't not. get a. I did not get a magic internship i did not get like a handout i i had to there's something that went off that said this is a business i need to build and i need to go for yeah. it so ha- having that perspective and realizing that you know you need to be an entrepreneur if you want to get into pro audio because because jobs just don't exist unless you're a union worker or something on Broadway, but that, you know, that's
0: very limited. (laughs) I I think that's so true. And I think that's fundamental. It's the mental game and Mm. it's the mindset and the producers I know who've done really well, not in the pro audio space, but well, some of them, um, they, that's how they think. Like they are self-starters. They're not waiting for anyone to pick up the slack. They're doing it themselves um oh yeah i think that's what you need and I, there's a lot of talented people out there who i don't know if they're content where they are but they just they don't have that entrepreneurial um characteristic and right. so they'll stay doing you know like doing the mastering or the mixing for 100 dollars a day while the studio owner makes 400 yeah, right or, or whatever which yep. maybe they're fine with, but I feel like a lot of people, a lot of them aren't. They don't know how to get out of that. Um, do you think that like entrepreneurial characteristic can be developed or do you think it's innate? Oh, this is like the age old question.
1: Um, I certainly believe- I think it can be developed. Yeah,
0: totally. So I certainly believe that people
1: have a bent towards it, of course, but sure. um, oh my gosh, no. Like your your life is what you choose- for it to be. So um, it can absolutely be developed. For me, a switch went off where I'm like, oh, that's the pathway of making this a career. It's being an entrepreneur. And then most people, the reason why they fail isn't because they aren't entrepreneurs. It's because they look at that and go, oh, that's too hard. And yeah. Yeah. um, that's just very unfortunate because gosh, I've seen I can't tell you how many, just so many talented, talented producers especially in electronic music um, because most of these guys are wearing headphones, guys and gals wearing headphones and they're geeking out and they, they produce such amazing stuff. Um, Yeah. But you know, they don't, they lack the confidence to go out and bet on themselves and um,
0: you can absolutely develop it. I mean, 100% man. Mm, I agree. Mm. One more question and this is going to lead. Well, a few more questions, but this question is going to lead into the next one. Sure back to the the producer who you know is making their own music uh, completely by themselves, they have listened to this interview so far and they want to start taking the first steps towards mastering themselves. What are those first steps? Like what would you say to those people?
1: yeah, I mean, I mean, that's kind of like what I do now is <laughs> like mm. um training training and coaching people to do so. so um you know, I would say, uh, you know, link up with me and let's work together for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, Um, but like on a practical level, um, I think the first thing is, you know, just, you have to believe in yourself for sure. But, but also you just got to start doing it. I mean, bounce out yeah. your tracks, get, get, stop working in your session. Like, don't go back and edit the kick drum. I mean, f- you, you mm. know, this is my final mix. I am bouncing this out. <laughs> and then yep. um, bring that into a final session and go like, okay, I'm just going to start mastering and then start reverse engineering things. And just, I mean, you'll find yourself that you'll basically be doing a lot of guesswork and it's not going to, yeah, it's not going to, it's not going to get you to where you need to be for sure. But that is the first step is just, sure. it's just like doing it yourself, you know,
0: just, just doing starting. It. Yeah. Yep. I love Absolutely. it, man. And, and so next to that, I mean, Not only are you a mastering engineer, but you also uh, are the founder of mastering.com. Tell us more about that and and your mission with the business.
1: Sure. So, um, I mean, ever since I was, like I said, you know, whatever, 17 years old, I've I've been in this industry and I've been mastering and just been doing it, man, and just developed like a system and um, just really just been able to to provide like excellent quality for people and people in their bedrooms and then major labels. And like, I've been blessed to work with just really awesome kind of big names. And um, just looking back and going, oh my gosh, how did I do that? <laughs> um, how did I get there? And it's been really inspiring to me to just like keep going. And, you know, it, I basically decided like, what's like the next thing I want to be doing? And one thing that I learned is that the reason why I am where I am today is because I had a mentor and I had somebody like show me what I needed to do and that unlocked everything for me. And so I figured what's what's like kind of the, the next thing? And I, I said I kind of want to just help people do that. So about a year ago, um, yeah, like you said, I started mastering.com, um, which I'm hoping can become sort of the the go to place for this subject. I mean, truly. Mm. Um, kind of be the, the industry leader when it comes to um, learning how to master yourself. And so, um, yeah, so Mastering.com, it's cool. I, I basically help um, artists, musicians, engineers, and producers get like pristine Grammy-winning quality in their music um, by teaching them how to become mastering engineers. And so um, I basically work with kind of two kinds of people, the creatives who just want to get really good stuff. Um Just pumping out really, really great stuff, and then also like studio owners or engineers who like offer these services to people uh who are recording engineers and all this like I pour into them and help them um help them like develop this business like what does it look like to charge yeah. for mastering? what does it look like to like separate your services what does it look like to to build a website and start this and what's it <laughs> I mean all those questions what what's it look like to actually mm-hmm become this and become one and like serve the the people in your area and your clientele and all this. And so, um, that's sort of my mission. I'm getting like a coalition of people together and just pouring into them and, and, um, just leaving no stone unturned when it comes to that stuff.
0: I love it, man. So people can check that out. What I love is that it's such a simple domain name, mastering.com. Like you cannot forget that.
1: <laughs> Where do you go from there? Yeah. It's just that, Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Right there. I, I'm
0: very scared to know how much that costs, but I won't ask.
1: Yeah, um, I'm I'm scared when yeah. I think about it again. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Blake, this has been a fantastic interview, uh, and and I'm sure that those of you listening have enjoyed it. The good news is that uh, it is not the last time that I'll be talking to you in the confines of EDM prod. So, we are doing a webinar next week, and I know that a lot of people listening are gonna want to be on that. Could you give us a, a quick overview and maybe tease of what you're going to cover in that webinar? Absolutely, yeah. And it's been uh, mutual, by
1: the way. I've just really loved um, chatting with you, and also just I just like I just love what you're doing with EDM prod. Thanks, um, man. I mean, for real. Um, yeah. So some things that we're going to be covering. Uh, it's, it's really exciting stuff. I mean, I'm going to basically show like what it takes to master a song from start to finish. Um, kind of the old ways of why people what people do with mastering and also kind of the new way that I'm going to show and how to actually kind of what we talked about, how to actually become an objective listener and like what that all means. I'm going to be, I'm just going to basically debunk all this stuff that people think um, about mastering and show that, I mean, also show some practical tools like um, actually like, like the three principles that I go on a daily basis when I, when I master in terms of EQ principles, like what, how do i approach mm. an eq how do i approach a compressor i have this thing that i that i help with my students called the the 2 second ear which is like and and everybody knows it um but they feel like they can't do it which is like you listen to your final mix you press play and after a while you're going what do i need to do this what do i need to do this where do i need to go and i want to help develop this thing called the 2 second ear which is if the 2 seconds of playback it's like okay i know what's wrong with it i know what i need to do and i know the exact things i need to get there to the to the final yep. master and just, just all that good stuff. I mean, I'm just going to really leave no
0: stone unturned. I love it, man. I'm so excited. So yeah. if you're listening and you want to sign up for that, it's going to be next week. Go to edmprod.com forward slash mastering. That is forward slash mastering and you can sign up there. It's free. You don't have to pay anything. Uh, and it's going to be a good time. Now, Blake, I have one more question for you. And this is sure. kind of the signature EDMProd podcast question. <laughs> okay. Okay you're in new york right that's right yeah that's where you live yeah yeah so you're going for a walk one day central park and um a ufo comes down and and they're gonna abduct you but they give you a piece of paper and a pen and they say that you can leave three pieces of advice behind for for (laughs) humankind or just or just engineers or producers oh three pieces of advice (laughs) what what is on that piece of paper uh, coming from somebody who who like has dabbled
1: in all of UFO history <laughs> and watch <laughs> and watch every single documentary there is on the planet, um, um, that's a fantastic question. Now, do you want me to target it to um, just mankind in general, in general, it's, or like
0: EDM producers? <laughs> it's up to you, man. It's totally up to you. Like a lot of people find it easier if it's more restricted to yeah. musicians, but uh, some people go all out. Yep. Um
1: the first thing I mean this is really firing from the hip here but the first thing I would say and I guess I'm going to tailor it more to musicians and artists and all that is sure. uh know yourself like you're were, you were designed to be a certain person like and you have certain skill sets that are, that are inerrant and and just like they're in you and if you unlock that and really understand um what those things are then you're going to you're going to not only be able to um, succeed at what you do but you're going to be able to influence so many people and help people if you understand uh, really how you we were made and how you, um, how you function and who you are as a person. So I, I'm a huge believer in that. So you want three things?
0: <laughs> uh, if you can. Uh, oh, yeah. Otherwise, it's
1: cool. Yeah. I can go all day, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, UFO, man. Okay, so UFO takes me up. I, that's the first thing I write. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. right. The second thing I would do, I would say is, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. So don't think that, um, don't be discouraged to to think, that. oh, I got to create original content. I mean, this is more speaking to original like producers and all this and artists. Um, a big, I'm a big believer in leverage to where like somebody has gone before you. And so, um, I would not only understanding yourself, but understanding history and understanding where people have gone and their experiences. Um, Mm -hmm. Somebody, somebody else has gone before you in in a very real way. And you can, you can leverage that and stand on their shoulders and link that up with who you are and create something really amazing without, um, without killing yourself thinking that you have this burden to create something original.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Let's see. Third thing is number your days. (laughs) This life is short. Yeah, And um, you got to, so stop looking at your phone. Stop, <laughs> stop wasting oh, time. It, um, number your days cause life is extremely short and that doesn't mean live it up, you know, Hey, live it up. And that doesn't mean retreat. It means, it means reverse engineer things and go, what do I want to be doing? Um, what, what's important in life? Like, what are my values? What yeah. are my principles? And, and take, take life seriously. Cause it's, it's short. And so number your days. I know maybe that was a little bit more philosophical than maybe some no, people i like it man. but well, that's what i have to say i mean this these are aliens we're talking about you know this is a ufo yeah, exactly. so i gotta get deep
0: hey blake thanks so much for your time this has been a fantastic conversation again if you're listening mastering.com and if you want to sign up for the webinar it is edmpro.com forward slash mastering cool cheers. yeah I had, a, I had a great
1: time man cheers
0: absolutely